sitting in a darkened room for 16 hours a day, downing a bag of chips, chugging energy drinks to stay awake as you stare endlessly at a screen. You're not wasting your life on gaming, you're in training to be in the All Blacks of esports. Here comes the end. Zeus looks for Q3. Zaka goes in with a stolen Azir ulti, but it ain't gonna do a whole lot. They still got a little bit of damage, but it is not enough. Barrel's gonna die, Death is gonna die. T1 will find the fight and find the win in game one. Sundra, they're pushing on. Secret, they've gotta make their move now. It's gonna be now or never if they wanna try and stop Tundra. Don't worry if you can't understand all that lingo, but you can't deny it sounds like a pretty exciting atmosphere. It's Dota, League of Legends, Fortnite and the like, the world of esports, and it's getting bigger here in Aotearoa. New Zealand trying to find something back, but it's so quickly reacted on by Australia. You know Australia going to pounce with this opportunity. But once you've thrown away the fizzy and the chips, it's a physical and mental game which you need a lot of prep for. If you wanted to be kind of like a world-class player, you need to be like nutrition, sleep, hydration, even your physical cardiovascular health are all really important. And our top esports teams are getting ready for the world champs in December, controversially being held in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is making moves in the gaming industry. $38 billion moves. First football, then golf, and now gaming. Saudi Arabia is investing heavy. Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, I ask the boss of New Zealand esports and a gamer to explain their world, how they're faring on the world stage, and how they're beating the stereotypes. Let's ask the basic questions first, shall we? What is esports? So esports is defined in New Zealand as digitally enabled competition, right? So people think of video games, but it's probably a little bit more than that. This is Jonathan Jensen, CEO of the New Zealand Esports Federation. Video games is one end of the spectrum of the thing you think about with someone holding a controller, playing a game on a screen. But that goes all the way down to things like sim racing, where you're sitting in a rig and you're driving, you know, a car on a screen. Simulator kind of thing. Simulator, yeah. You're not actually there, but you're doing all the same actions. And it also moves all the way down to the other end of the spectrum we call virtual sport with things like Zwift. We are on a physical bike that's hooked up to a machine and you're pedaling all the physical inertia is going through the bike and then you're, you've got a virtual avatar on a screen that you're actually controlling. But it's your physical body sort of pushing through it. Right, Mark's first time on Zwift and he's going to try and beat Bullet Bell in a sprint off. Yeah, well, quite different from what some of us might think. You know, it was the traditional couch potato just looking at your PlayStation or, or playing Dota in your bedroom or something. Totally. I mean, that's kind of where I guess it began. But the interesting thing about esports is that it's not one thing. It's not like one culture or one group of people. There's the motorheads who love cars and F1, and they'll talk about that stuff all day, and they sim race. And then there's the video game enthusiasts who play Dota or Valorant or Fortnite, and they're all different groups of people as well, all the way through to, you know, we have Olympian cyclists who Zwift every day, and they play in the esports Zwift, you know, world championships. And so they're just completely different groups of people and pockets of culture. Where people do get confused is that gaming and esports are actually two different things. Right. And so just like if I went to the beach with some mates and threw a ball around, I wouldn't go telling people that I'm a rugby player. And just like if you go home and jump on the PlayStation and crack the bag of chips and you're playing, you know, like Red Dead Redemption, that's not esports. That's just gaming to relax. When does it become esports? When you're competing. 
So it's the equivalent of you're practicing with intent to get better. You're looking after your body. You're thinking about what are the things that you can do to um, improve your competitive play. If you wanted to be kind of like a world-class player, you need to be like nutrition, sleep, hydration, even your physical and cardiovascular health are all really important for your mind. If your mind's not ready, then in esports, you're gone. My kind of uh, <laughs> stereotype of competitive esports is like, don't know if you've ever seen that South Park episode. Yeah. When they're playing World of Warcraft and they just get fatter and fatter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We did it, you guys. We're totally heroes. That was such uber ponage. That's the misconception, like, honestly. But, I mean, you uh, you go to any major esports event and you can't be. Because if you're overweight, then your heart's struggling, your body is struggling, your mind is struggling. You know, if you've ever had a day where, or a couple of days maybe, where you've had, like, a few too many takeouts or just, like, haven't made the best nutrition choices, and you get that brain fog, like, that kills you in esports. You just can't do that. So who are the... E-Blacks. The E-Blacks, Aotearoa's national esports team that re- represents us on the international gaming stage. This is lit! The E-Blacks are the All Blacks of esports, the, the New Zealand national esports team. So in 2020, esports was recognised by Sport New Zealand as an official sport. So we went through all the proper procedures. There was a, a legal case around whether or not it's defined as a sport or not, and we were. We were established as New Zealand Esports Federation as what we call the NSO, the National Sporting Organisation. So we are the Basketball New Zealand of esports. And with that, we need a national team to represent us at World Championships and Global Games. And so that's when we established the E-Blacks brand and the team. So every year when we have different opportunities to compete internationally representing New Zealand, we find the best Kiwis to play and um, they become E-Blacks. And how have you been going on the world stage? Uh, it's still pretty early days. We're not a, a major dominant force in the world at the moment, but we've had a couple of like really good performances. So our best performance to date has been at the 2022 Global Games in Istanbul. We had um, Ghost Chips from the fighting game community play Street Fighter V, and he got a bronze medal at the Global Games. Hi, my name is Regan. Been known as Ghost Chips, and I play Street Fighter for the E-Bikes. The rest of the titles, we're sort of still feeling our way out, seeing where we are. I mean, esports is massive globally, right? Right? especially in Southeast Asia. And so we're competing against countries with billions of dollars of investment. I think we have it in our DNA to do well, but we're still figuring out how do we really tune that performance and, and, and help esports athletes improve. So who are the big countries that are leading on the world stage? Depends on the game. It's all very regionalized. You might have heard League of Legends or Dota. Those are um, more Korea, Southeast Asian countries. If you're doing almost anything FPS or first-person shooter like Counter-Strike, Usually Europe's the pretty dominant force in that space. And then North America is where all the money is. What I want to talk about now is the world championships that New Zealand is going to in esports. So we've got the global esports champs in Saudi Arabia in December. Is that right? Yep. So because we're still a fairly new sport, most sports have won like world championships. We have two because they still haven't figured out who the global body is. So we have the world esports championships, which we've just come back from, which was in Romania, where we had an eFootball competitor, JMK King, and a Tekken player, Chris Hu. And now we're heading to Riyadh in Saudi Arabia and we'll have a Dota 2 women's team and JMK King will be going again for eFootball for our squad. Saudi Arabia, having the games in Saudi Arabia, I mean, they've had a few issues about sports washing. A country that has never won an Olympic gold medal, Saudi Arabia has suddenly emerged as a major player in global sport, hosting events, buying teams and luring athletes with staggering contracts. Is this investment an attempt to diversify the economy and cater to younger citizens, as its leaders claim, or is it done to paper over human rights abuses, authoritarian rule, and even murder? How do you feel about 
the games being in Saudi Arabia? My first concern, like as soon as, especially because our women's team qualified, we wanted to touch base with them to make sure that they were feeling okay with, you know, how we work through that. The sports washing of Saudi sort of continues through to esports as well. They're doing a lot in the esports space. They're investing a lot of money. These incredibly large investments are being made at a time when Saudi Arabia is still quite controversial in the world. Why? Because of its human rights record, homosexuality laws, and women's rights. Brian Ward, the CEO of Saudi's esports company Savvy Gaming, have said they are trying to improve Saudi's credibility. We have had on our executive team members of the LGBTQ community and women. Whilst this might seem like a step in the right direction, which it is, Saudi Arabia still has work to do in the space, especially when games like The Last of Us are banned in the country due to characters' sexuality. Our president visited one of the princes earlier this year and um, went over as a delegation and, you know, they're very open to other ways of life in Riyadh, I think. I'm not sure if it's specifically in that area, but everything was relatively normal and they are very welcoming of you know, understanding that you know, they have their culture, but tourists or, or visitors to their country have theirs as well. Um, and so we've had no issues so far with our players playing there, our, our women playing over there, um, but we all are always cautious of that because I think one of the strengths of esports is its inclusivity. It's one of the very few sports where it doesn't matter about your gender, your race, your background, any disabilities you have. And we want to make sure that that kind of, no matter where we compete in the world, translates through to where you're competing. And that's one of the concerns. Why is there that inclusivity in esports? I mean, often you'd think it would be a male-dominated sport. So in terms of gender, it is yeah, male-dominated. Um, things like our women's team is where we try and help you know, you can't be what you can't see. And so now that we have role models that we can show that like, hey, it doesn't matter if you're a, a girl who's interested in gaming, there are these women who are out there doing it on the world stage. They can kind of look up to them and help know that it is a place for them to be and to succeed. Let's talk to one of those role models. I'm Rangzi, also known online as Magic. Full name Magic NZ because Magic's always taken. So I had to add a little NZ in there representing New Zealand. I play Dota 2, which is an online video game. And yeah, I represent New Zealand. Well, first question I have to ask you, there's a few names out there, aren't there? Now, the Captain Fury. I play Street Fighter Five under the handle Ghost Chips. And yours, Magic. How did you come up with that name? Uh, I'm a really big fan of Harry Potter. So just magic, because I'm not very creative. Obviously, my very first username, I guess, was Illusions. And then, I don't know, I thought that was kind of lame. So I chose an even lamer name when I went to Dota 2, which was Magic. So, <laughs> yeah, but surprisingly, I am the only Magic in the Australia server, I think. Yeah, despite it being so cliche. Can you explain to us why all the players have these kind of names? I don't know. When you when you play online, you can kind of choose any alter ego. You can choose a name that sounds cool. You can choose a nickname. Um, we have a player in the New Zealand team called Xavier. That's just his middle name. And then, you know, we have Explosive Fury, which I guess just sounds cool. Can you describe Dota 2 for me, just for people that aren't too aware of it? What does a hero truly mean? That is for you to decide. Dota 2 is it's pretty much a 5 vs 5 strategy game. If you're familiar with the term MOBA, that's the kind of game category. I'm not, sorry. 
All right. Have you heard of League of Legends? Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly the same as League of Legends. Um, MOBA is a multiplayer online battle arena. So two teams of players, they compete against each other. And your aim of the game is eventually to destroy something in the enemy's base called the Ancient, hence where the name Defense of the Ancients comes from. And once you destroy that, uh, you win the game. Oh, does Dota stand for Defense of the Ancients? Okay, there you go. <laughs> Learn something new every day. What got you into esports in the first place? Um, well, I've always played video games growing up. So around the age of eight, uh, me and my older brother, we shared a computer. And I didn't really get a choice of what I played. I just played whatever he played because obviously he bought the games. Um, but we played a lot of Age of Empires, Heroes of Might and Magic, and Warcraft 3. And Warcraft 3 back then uh, had an online platform called Battle.net. And that's where you can join online lobbies playing against other players. I wasn't actually allowed to touch that because he said it's, it's not good for someone so young to, to go online and play games. But um, for my 13th birthday, he finally let me make my own account with my own email address and I could log in. I would join Warcraft 3 lobbies and play against other people and one day there's other mini games as well not just Warcraft 3 lobbies and there was one called Dota and I, I'm pretty certain I accidentally joined Dota and I didn't even realize until the game started and I was like hang on this looks a bit different why am I only <laughs> controlling one one unit like what is this oh my god but you know I just played it out anyway because I ain't no quitter and <laughs> yeah I ended up really liking it so I just kept playing it after that what's so addictive about it uh I don't know. I, I really like the fact that even though the game is teamwork based, your own skill matters. I like that if you are really good at the game, it's really obvious and you know, you're know you're helping your team. But the fact that it is still technically a teamwork game, you do need your team to help you as well. So I like that aspect of you know individual skill as well as teamwork. And how did you get to be part of the E-Blacks? So New Zealand Esports, uh, they announced that there was a Commonwealth um, championships, like a like a demo running um, at the Commonwealth Games. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Esports has come such a long way. And one of the titles in it was Dota 2. And there's not very many players in New Zealand. Like Australia and New Zealand, there's, there's so many players in Australia. But New Zealand's quite small in our scene. Uh, everyone knows everyone because the community is that small. So... We just kind of got, you know, the five top players of New Zealand and we made a team. We're all kind of friends, so it was easy. With the women's team, it was it was a lot harder because there's already such a small uh, woman player base in the community. I only actually knew one of my teammates um, when we first made the women's team. I didn't know the other three at all. I'd never heard of them. So, yeah, making the women's team was a lot harder than making the men's team, uh, well, opens team. So. Mm. Well, yeah, it's a very male-dominated sport, isn't it? I mean, were there oh. any barriers for you getting into this? Um, Yes, I, can, I consider myself quite lucky just in that sense because, like I said, I started so long ago, so... I was one of, I guess, the original people who played on the server. So people just kind of knew me as a woman. They didn't really, it wasn't a surprise to them. But the server itself is definitely made of probably 98% male. If you load into a game, you know, you're not very likely at all to have a woman in the team. It's just, it, Dota itself is a very 
male-dominated game. There are other games out there that have a more, I guess, equal player base. But in Dota, I think in my lifetime, at the rank that I've been playing, I've probably encountered less than 10 women. Wow. Why do you think that is? Uh, Well, I think it's also just the, the skill bracket I play in, but I think... If I had to, if I had to say why in general, I think there's a negative stereotype that women aren't as good as men at video games. And I think this causes like a lot of women to stop trying to improve or just stop playing in general because, you know, it's a barrier they have to overcome and it's it's a hard barrier. So I see why a lot of people just don't bother. Well, how have you overcome that barrier? I mean, you know, you must have pushed yourself quite a lot to get over that. Like I said, I'm competitive, so I, I will always try hard at any anything I do. And if someone says that I'm bad because I'm a girl and then they lost to me, well, I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I just take my time that uh, these people aren't really worth my time to acknowledge. Um, they just want a reaction. Like you kind of just have to be a bit strong-willed and strong-minded when it comes to these type of games. Tell me about your training routines. So. Hmm. How does it work for you? How much are you on the computer playing Dota every day? Definitely a lot less now because I have a full-time job and everything. But when I was in uni, high school, uh, even after uni, I would play a lot, actually, like whatever spare time I have. Um, Let's say I get home at 5 and I have dinner and shower and it finishes at 6.30. From 6.30 all the way to when I sleep, Probably like at 12, I would just be playing Dota. So just like six hours of Dota and like one day, every day kind of thing. And then that's just weekdays. Like let's not talk about the weekends that I don't go out. <laughs> well, yeah, tell me about the weekends. I want to know. Uh, you know, like one of those, like if you watch anime, like one of those people that just sit at their computer all day and like have energy drinks on the side and pizza, that was like probably me. But <laughs> not maybe, maybe not to that extent, but that's like on a day that I just – didn't have anything on and was like, yes, today is a Dota day. <laughs> it's a good day. So you work full time at the moment. There must be yeah. quite a serious training regime, though, to be part of the E-Blacks. Yes. Yeah, so um, when it comes to like actual competitive gaming, uh, we do something called scrims, which is where our team will organize a competitive lobby with uh, another team, they could be an actual team or they could just be, you know, a group of five friends that just want to help us practice. So we usually organize that in the evenings, probably around eight o'clock, nine o'clock New Zealand time. It's quite hard because uh, half of our team is in Australia, even though we are we're, we're New Zealanders, we just live in Australia. So there's that little two hour time zone difference. So, yeah, I, I sometimes feel quite bad for the New Zealand girls because they have to go so late into the night. But um, mm. we try to do that probably uh, at the moment. You know, we want to aim for like once a week, but maybe when we get closer to December, we'll aim for about three times a week. Is there any more in terms of work that you do, physical training or mental training? mental coach they kind of encourage positivity you know good mental health physical I mean I would just think maybe after every game just get up and have a walk around but that's what you should really do for any time you're on a computer right but you mm. don't really need to be physically you know super fit to play <laughs> to play video games <laughs> so you're going to Saudi Arabia for one of the world champs in December how are you feeling about Saudi Arabia what's your ambition what do you want to achieve 
needs to play in Southeast Asia region. Um, I know a lot of the girls that will be competing there. Um, they're very talented, very strong players. So I'm not sure about winning, but I definitely think we can we can come top three, top five. I can't really go past Saudi Arabia without asking you about the sports swashing issues and the treatment of women, human rights over there. Does that concern you at all? Um, well, yes uh, and no, but I, I think it's it's mainly because I always wondered because um, the, the organisation that hosts these tournaments is Global Esports Federation, and they're all about, uh, you know, um, inclusivity and diversity and, you know, just making gaming a place where everyone is allowed to, to play. And um, at the Commonwealth, games there's a women's division and an opens division there were also transgenders allowed into the women's division people would talk about that in itself but I was just wondering like how would that work in Saudi Arabia because I don't think their LGBT rights is that big of a thing so I'm just wondering like will they be allowed to compete in the same scenario that they were allowed to compete in Birmingham so I'm not too sure like what's happening with that but I guess I'll See when I get there. So beyond Saudi Arabia, we've heard Magic mention the Commonwealth Games. Where exactly does esports sit on the world stage? Back to Jonathan, the CEO of our esports federation. Last year we were we had the Commonwealth Esports Championships, which was run in Birmingham alongside the Commonwealth Games, and it was a medaled event. And so we had two teams competing there, and we've had Olympic virtual series and weeks with on the Olympic side of things as well. But we're yeah we're we're pretty much fully ingrained in the uh, in the Olympic and the Commonwealth system now. Oh really? Okay, because I thought that it was just a pilot version. Yeah. So so generally. Um, the pathway to induction into the games, similar to the X Games, is they always have you know an observer event or an exhibition event first. This was what that was for us, but it was run by the Commonwealth Organising Committee in Birmingham um, with our athletes sort of being part of that whole experience. On the Olympic side, you might have heard recently that the Olympic IOC just announced that they've tasked the an esports commission with establishing an Olympic esports games to run sort of in the same circuit as potentially the summer games, winter games, and there'll be the esports games. I have asked our new IOC esports commission to study the creation of Olympic esports games. So have you got any further ambitions beyond the Olympics or Commonwealth Games? I mean, that seems to be the pinnacle of sport, doesn't it? From a performance point of view, yeah. But I think what we're really focused on is... You know the Kiwis on the ground, like it's it's fantastic. I love to make to see high performing Kiwis on the world stage and doing well and creating those role models. But really, a lot of the work that we do are in schools and in grassroots and working with parents to help them understand what esports is. And I think our greatest ambition is to help people see that esports can be a vehicle for positive well being in our lives and our everyday lives. If a hundred thousand Kiwis are playing esports and five of them make an international team or go and compete internationally, that's fantastic. But I'm actually really focused on the other 99,900 of them. And in the same way that sport teaches us healthy physical habits, I want esports to better teach us those, but as well as that healthy digital habits because of these stigmas you talk about. You cannot sit on a computer for 16 hours a day and eat chips and be good at esports. It's just not possible. And if you try and do that, then you're going to fail and you're going to get addicted to games or screen time and it can really affect your life. And there's all of these kind of pitfalls around it in the same way you can overtrain in sport. And we find that it often just takes 
a conversation with a parent to say, it's okay to limit your child's screen time or practice time to three hours a day. And they should be going for regular walks and exercise. And it actually helps them with their decision-making or their emotional health is really important because if you're, you know, you know the trope of you know, punching the screen or smashing the keyboard, gaming is emotional. And if you can't keep your emotions in check, then you will lose. And if you want to be successful in that space, these are the things you need to learn. And I think there's so many valuable lessons in there. And I think that's where our real ambition lies. So that's it for today on Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders. Our producers are Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Jonathan Jensen and Ramsey Magic Mo. Ka kite anō.